Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the premiere episode of Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for in-depth discussions for every episode of Star Trek Discovery. My name is Sean Ray, and joining me this evening is my co-host, Rick. How are you, sir? Shouldn't this be the before show right now, anyway? Yeah, this is the this is the, <laughs> uh, the, the preview show. <laughs> Hi, folks. <laughs> and uh, sitting over to my left of the virtual table is my Cosmic Potato co-host, Mr. John Irons. How are you, sir? This is starting off great. <laughs> And uh, as, as I said, this is our uh, premiere episode, and it's the only one that we have planned that doesn't accompany a specific episode. So Star Trek Discovery is going to come on every Sunday on uh, CBS All Access, and on Mondays we're going Monday, to record... Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> we're going to record our uh, thoughts on what happened in that episode and, and, and all that, talk about what happened and review all aspects of it. But I thought since the show hasn't started yet, it starts this uh, Sunday... We'll record one episode that just kind of discusses the history of what's happened over the past year or so since they announced that uh, this show was going to be a thing, and we'll talk about the characters and what we're hoping we'll uh, we'll get out of it. So um, we're also going to talk about some of the uh, some of the things that uh, some of the fans are saying. You know, a lot of the fans are not exactly excited about this show, and uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and some of the reasons why uh why they uh why they're not excited and uh but did you guys have you guys seen any of the stories that came out today about the red carpet premiere from last night Um, saw headlines haven't had a chance to to watch any of them afraid i saw um photos um i saw sonequa martin green next to nichelle nichols both giving the vulcan salute that was cool yeah yeah Everybody that was any anybody that's anybody in Star Trek was at this thing. I mean, they had j- just about every actor that's uh, still living that's been on Star Trek was there. But um, a lot of the uh, reviews that came out, which you know they they put a a, a quash on uh, putting out any information about the show. They're not letting uh, reviewers watch it and stuff like that but they did have this premiere last night and what came out on twitter was mostly positive you know people are saying things like uh go out and get cbs all access right now and watch this on the biggest tv that you can find you know (laughs) that kind of stuff so that's i mean that's that's positive positive uh a positive outlook for the show anyway yeah i know a couple of guys that went and uh one of them uh you know of course they were sworn to secrecy i think everybody there was you know, and and it seems to be that most everybody is cool with like I'm not going to spoil this, but and uh, what I've heard from people is Star Trek is in good hands, and these are people that whose opinion I really trust on this stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're going to be getting something really good, and it's going to be really different from what we've seen in the past, obviously, because it's been 12 years since Enterprise went off the air, so that was the last. TV version of Star Trek that we've had and TV has come a long way in the last 12 years you know so obviously we're going to get something that's uh, a, a lot more advanced and that's one of the things that some of the fans 
are, are saying that they don't want because it's not going to look like the original series. I don't want it to really look like the original series because the original series was made in the sixties. You know, I don't want to watch a TV yeah. show that looks like it was made in the sixties. But um, well, there was also a convention a couple of weeks ago, a couple three weeks ago, um, where there was a panel that was they. It was all the the art directors and designers from the show. Yeah, and the press weren't allowed to. There, there were no recordings made or anything like that. But. Uh, they were saying that the intention is, as the show goes on, they are going to skew the design aesthetic so that it leans more towards like the colors of TOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. the intention is for this show to, you know, as much as is feasible, I think, segue or or, or at least set the stage for TOS not being a completely unbelievable next step. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is set 10 years before, which is roughly about the time that the cage took place. Am I right about that? Maybe a few years Uh, before. Well, let's see. At the time of, if I'm remembering correctly, at the time of the menagerie, I think they're saying that uh, Spock had served with Pike for 15 years or had it been 15 years since it, it's right. Yeah. It's right around there. So more I, or less. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you see some cage esque uniforms on some of the character. They may, it may be background characters, you know, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't see some uniforms that looked kind of like uniforms from the cage, even in this season, you know? Well, so. and also, you know, and I'm I'm just spitballing here. I don't have any any uh, basis of fact for this, but yeah, that's mo- most of this is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, even in our current military, different branches have different uniforms. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. and different looks. Uh, you right. know, yes, what we've seen of the Discovery and the Shenzhou look more advanced now than than what we saw in the Enterprise back in 1966, but that doesn't mean that. You know, I, I've seen. You know, they've seen the picture. They've seen. They've shown us the pictures of a lot of the props, and the props are gorgeous. The phasers are a wonderful transition between cage era phasers and modern or TOS era phasers. Same with tricorders and communicators and stuff like that. Um, I would let you know. I hope we see the occasional like gooseneck microphone thing coming out of out of a command oh, chair, yeah, or something. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. So let's go back to uh, when we when we first found out that this show was going to happen. It was November of 2015. And uh, CBS announced that they were developing a new series set in the Star Trek universe that would be released in January of 2017. And as we know, they didn't make that deadline. They pushed it back twice. And at that point in time, we had very little information about the show. We didn't know if it was going to be set in the Prime Universe or the Kelvin timeline. Uh, for those of you that don't know, which I mean, I'm sure if you listen to this show, you know this, but the Prime Universe refers to anything that happened in the original five shows and the and the movies, and the Kelvin Universe is anything that happened in the uh, in the J.J. Uh, Abrams Universe, the 2009 film, and Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond and all that. So, um, right around that same time, late in 2015. Paramount and CBS also launched a lawsuit aimed at the producers of Axanar, the Axanar fan production. Do you think that the lawsuit and this new series had anything to do with each other? Nope. <laughs> you don't not, you, you, not at all. You don't think so? I think probably not. 
Uh, I followed the XNR debacle very closely. Um, I think that uh, without going into too much detail, just because it's a rabbit hole I'm really sick of being in, <laughs> yeah. and I'm happy to ignore it now. Uh, if you want to find out about what all went on, you can find it ad nauseum online. There are plenty of people who will talk to you about what happened on XNR on both sides of the coin. But anyway, the bottom line is... Uh, the people producing Axonar were uh, were going way above and beyond what is proper and what is legal as far as creating a Star Trek fan production. Right, uh, and they would have attracted the attention of CBS and their lawyers whether CBS was getting ready to do another show or not. Despite what the devotees of uh, the, you know the people that are still dedicated to Axonar for some reason you know they they are absolutely sure that this was a witch hunt because they were creating something that was going to be that was going to compete with what CBS is doing and this this incredibly inflated se- sense of self-importance that these people have you know i love star trek continues which is you know vic mignogna's uh, outfit mm-hmm. they're doing a fantastic job of doing what is essentially the fourth season of TOS. And they have played by the book. They have, you know, they've they've raised money, but they've used every penny of it to do the show. Uh, they have, uh, you know, a, a, a very dedicated following, of which I am one of them. But when it comes right down to it, there are, I'll be generous and say, you know, a few thousand people, maybe even tens of thousands of people, who watch Star Trek fan shows uh, and watch Star Trek continues in general. That is such a, and, and you know, for Axanar, it's even less now because yeah. of all of the, the net. So these fans who think that boycott discovery because CBS cracked down on Axanar for breaking the law. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a drop in the bucket. They, you know, CBS couldn't care less if everybody that ever watched a Star Trek fan show didn't watch Discovery, it wouldn't mar- it wouldn't move the Nielsen ratings one <laughs> percent. Right? Yeah, yeah. Not, not that I am a little pissed off about this whole Axanar <laughs> thing. Still, that's another reason I don't want to talk about it because it just gets me. Yeah, oh, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I mean, so so the the, the show got pushed back. And uh, slowly over time, we started to learn a little bit more about what we were we were going to get. First thing we found out was uh, some of the people who were going to be involved in the show. So you've got uh, Heather Caden as an executive producer. She worked on uh, Sleepy Hollow, Scorpion, and uh, Limitless. And uh, Alex Kurtzman was signed on as executive producer. He he wrote uh, on Transformers, Amazing Spider-Man Two. Uh, the Mummy, the old one, and um, Hercules, Xena, Jack of All Trades, Alias, and stuff like that. And then they got Brian Fuller, who was named the showrunner, and he created uh, Dead Like Me, Pushing Daisies, Hannibal, and now he's known for American Gods. And uh, Nicholas Meyer, uh, who was hired as a writer and a consulting producer, and of course he directed Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six, which are arguably two of the best of the of those uh, six movies. And, of course, uh, Rod Roddenberry, the son of Gene Roddenberry, was also hired as an executive producer. So a lot of things happened over those next few months. And I'll, didn't, didn't Brian Fuller have something to do with uh, Voyager or Enterprise? Yeah. he. Uh, 
was he a writer? I think he was a writer. Well, I know he was a producer for several episodes of, uh, I know Voyager, I think Deep Space Nine. He had, he had some, he had some stuff in Deep Space Nine yeah. and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on Enterprise too, but, um, yeah, cause I know he had, he had Star Trek experience. Yeah. Oh yeah, he um, did. He did. Definitely. Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Okay, uh, so he wasn't on Enterprise. Okay. Google Foo is faster than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so when when they when they signed him on, he was he was hired by CBS. He didn't really they didn't really have an idea of what they wanted. They just know they wanted they just knew they wanted to bring Star Trek back to TV. And he wanted to do an anthology series, kind of like what American Horror Story does and Fargo and shows like that, so that each season would be a different crew and it would take place in a different time period. So they'd be able to explore all kinds of different aspects of the show of the, you know, of the universe. CBS said, no, they didn't want to do that. They just want to do a serialized show for now. And, uh, he kind of clashed with the guy that was hired to direct the pilot. He wanted Edgar Wright to direct the pilot. And, uh, the budget was starting to go over what they wanted to spend. And Fuller was, uh, designing new sets and costumes and aliens and, he was also trying to be the, the showrunner for American Gods at the same time, and eventually he pulled out of uh, Star Trek and went to go do American Gods uh, completely. So, what do you, what would you guys have thought of an anthology series like he wanted wanted to do? I find it intriguing, like uh, not to get too Spock on you. Um, <laughs> like I think I would have almost liked it better instead of like you know one crew per season um almost just like per episode you know have maybe you know five or six crews on five or six ships or 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 um or uh space stations and you know this week we're looking at them and this week we're looking at them and this week we're looking at them and maybe as we get close to the season finale they start to interact maybe um yeah but not even necessarily. I think I, I think I would prefer that to a different crew every season. A different crew every season feels to me like it's just long enough to start to care about the characters, and then you don't see them again. Yeah, there's that. As a, as as opposed to you know, if everybody gets like a show, you know, I'm not expected to build any kind of particular bond. So it's like, oh, it's you know, it's almost like Game of Thrones. You know, back when Game of Thrones had, you know, a hundred different things going on. Um, it's like, oh, we get to see so-and-so this episode. Oh, we get to see so-and-so this episode. So there's always kind of that sense of anticipation. Um, that I think would be a different and welcome feeling for a Star Trek show. Um, I, I like I say, the... I'm not, I'm yeah. not mad at the way they're doing it. I like the, the the idea of the the one thing about an anthology series that I think would have been interesting is the fact that you could shift the timeline around. You know, you could do a you could do a, a season that's here before TOS. Well, the next season could take place ten years after you know the next generation or after uh, Voyager and all that. So we we could we could visit the universe that we know and maybe maybe bring some of those characters back and. And do that kind of thing. And then we, we could do a season that takes place entirely at Starfleet Academy, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, right. That's just something that it would have been interesting, I, I think. Go ahead. 
I'll admit that when I first heard the the anthology idea floated, I liked the idea. Uh, now, part of it might just be because I kind of miss episodic television. Yeah, you know, with with Tio, you know, right up until uh, DS Nine, even, but but even later than that, you know, growing up for me and for people in in my generation, you know, some of y'all too. Uh, it used to be that you didn't have to watch a show from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You could come in in the middle of a season and be fine. You know, you may have to right. figure out who some characters are, but for the most part, every episode was a self-contained thing, unless it was a two-parter, and then it would be that would be you know a self-contained thing. And now, you know, one of the reasons why I you know people are like, oh, have you watched this series? And I'm like, no, because there's four seasons of that thing, and I need. Yeah need to watch all of them to get up to here <laughs> and i just don't have that much time yeah um so i was kind of psyched about the anthology idea plus uh one of the things i've always said about star trek or when everyone said you know anyone asked me what do you want to see in a future star trek i would i don't think we need to change the time you know we have seen uh five ships well, four ships and a space station. Okay, mm-hmm, right. And they were the ones that, granted, were at the at the 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 leading edge of the forces that were driving the geopolitics of the galaxy at that time. But there's still the entire Alpha Quadrant and pieces of the Beta Quadrant, and uh, to explore, you could do ten years of essentially short stories, anthology. Anth- anthologized is that how yeah okay <laughs> yeah i believe so. um sure uh and never and, and never run out of material you know we could do they could do a, a show you know one episode where it's a troop transport and a convoy taking stuff to some planet during the 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 dominion war and then the next year or the next episode could be something going on you know a, a during during the TOS era or something on the other side on the in in the gamma quadrant that you know through the wormhole there's just there's so much untapped material out there mm-hmm. that i thought an anthology show would be awesome from a practical standpoint it's expensive as shit <laughs> that's true yeah. and for an un, for an unestablished show i'm sure that was one of the big problems was they were like we have to build a new show a new ship every week we have to hire a new cast every week. You know, back in the back in the the, the 50, 40s and fifties and sixties, when shows like The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits and and you know stuff like that were huge, each TV studio had a stable of actors that that they just went, all right, you're in this week, you're in next right. week, you're you know, they don't have that now. Now every episode is a negotiation, and if you're not negotiating for an entire season, it the costs just go through the roof in no time. So I can really. As much as I would love to see a show like that, I don't see it being feasible right now. Not not for not for a network. Yeah, you know, maybe someone like Netflix could do it. But well, one of the things that I that I read is that I mean, of course, they're not doing the anthology. They're doing a series where the entire season is one complete storyline. Yeah, but from what I've read, uh, the the through line that goes into the next season, like next season will be a completely different story. So some of the characters that we see here may be gone and they may bring bring in new characters, but they're going to have a core 
few characters, and of course, it being called Star Trek Discovery, I'm sure it'll be on at least the the Starship Discovery will have something to, <laughs> something to do with the plot. But uh, they also said that they're they're looking at shows like Game of Thrones and like The Walking Dead, where they're not afraid to kill off what you consider to be main characters. And you not expect it, you know, it just, it just happened, you know, so the, the captain of the ship may get killed halfway through the season, you know, and, and that's not out of the question. You know, I think that's going to happen. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to be halfway. Um, what we know is that um, Sonego Martin Green plays Michael Burnham. Um, who is, I guess, like, first officer to... Or the show starts out, she's first officer to um, Michelle Yeoh, who plays Captain Shorjo. Yeah, she's serving on the, yeah. on the Shinzu, yeah. Right. I have a bad feeling about, <laughs> about the, uh, the immediate future of uh, Captain Shorjo and how... Yeah. Well, okay. This... IMDB information be considered a spoiler. Well, I'm I'm looking now, and it says 15 episodes. Yeah, let me do a disclaimer for the. This show is a spoiler show, so for future episodes of this podcast, yeah. don't listen to this podcast if you haven't seen the episode, because that's what this this whole show is about. We're going to be analyzing the plot of every episode, so. So any, I mean, anything goes. You can spoil whatever you want because we're we're warning people. If you haven't, if you care about spoilers, don't listen. If you don't want to uh, be spoiled, then wait until you've seen the show to listen to the episode. So okay. I'm on I'm on the IMDb page, and Michelle Yeoh is listed as as being on 15 episodes. Yeah. Now I I didn't go looking for that. I was looking for something else on IMDb, and then I was like, wow, she's in all the episodes because somebody on another uh, Facebook group that I'm part of was saying that they suspected that the Shenzhou would be destroyed in the first couple of episodes. Yeah. And uh, now granted being in the episode doesn't mean the character's still alive. Yeah. It could be a flashback. It could be flashbacks or something. So, um, but I, I'm not saying that I think the Shenzhou and her crew are going to make it through the whole thing. But I think that the assumption it's going to be destroyed right away, uh, I, I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that might be a little premature because I have seen frequent, frequent references uh, to this being a show about two ships. Yeah. Yeah, and being, um, being, listed, being listed as being on the show doesn't necessarily mean anything anymore either because... Like on The Walking Dead, I know some of those actors, they don't know their character is going to be killed until they get the script for that episode. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so they, they could list her as 15 episodes just because they're paying her for 15 episodes. It's in her contract. But she may get killed in the in the first one. <laughs> well, I'm kind of... I mean, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good news, bad news thing. I It also... One of the things that I'm find most interesting about this uh this series is um that the main character is a human who was raised on vulcan yeah and when she when uh snigelman green has talked about it in interviews uh she's used she used the word indoctrination which is not a positive word not usually so yeah (laughs) yeah so 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 you know i get the sense that uh she, at least she, her character, uh, 
you know, um, is is fighting against that uh, the, the the Vulcan um, uh, way, the, the Vulcan mindset, and <clears throat> excuse me, and that was one of the things that I was really kind of looking forward to when I first heard that was to you know maybe kind of see her journey, her progression as you know a very logical person to you know letting more of her uh, you know emotional human side um appear as we see the the character develop but the more i've seen you know at this point i i think we've kind of jumped ahead and we've kind of missed that we the audience kind of don't get to see that because she's already done a lot of that so tying this into what we were saying before i am kind of hopeful well i don't know about hopeful but one way that we could still see it is if they do um show a lot of flashbacks yeah so you know maybe like she's encountering some conflict or decision or you know whatever challenge and she is thinking back to her time at at the um uh vulcan academy is that right yeah vulcan science academy yeah. yeah the science academy and you know so if this show is flashback heavy for lack of a better term, then some of that could be a lot of that could be Michelle Yeoh if she's the one. And and this is something else that they, that I've seen in interviews where she, she's kind of takes credit for helping her to unlock her human yeah. emotional side. So, yeah. So it's, it's good news. And that I do want to see that transition but it's bad news in that it doesn't necessarily. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh could be dead the whole time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. She could be. Now, uh, she could be six sensing us the whole time. Now, speaking of uh, of Michael growing up on Vulcan, there's also another thing that, that. Okay, we might as well talk about the elephant in the room at this point. Uh, Spock. It's well, no, well, no, just all of the angry nerds out there who have already decided they're going to hate the show. Oh yeah, I've got I've got a list of things oh. that they've been saying because uh, <laughs> Do we really have to talk about them? <laughs> if, yeah. If you if you belong to the, if you belong to the Star Trek Universe forum on Facebook, I apologize. I'm the one that's been arguing for <laughs> with you for the last year. <laughs> but and I, I'm going to I'm going to talk and I was actually on Facebook today and asked the question, what is it that you guys are not wanting uh, are not liking about this show. And I've got a list of a few things that they told me that we could, that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but go ahead with what, what you were saying. Rick. Well, the, when, what the, yeah, the, the thing of that, that's kind of, and, and okay. This was a little bit of a, of a come to Surak moment for me, uh, <laughs> because I, one of my gripes against Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, of which the list is long and varied and, and has grown over the years. That's the best uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, we'll see you later. I'm done with this shit. <laughs> the camping no, um, in Yellowstone Park, I, that was great. <laughs> oh, God, shoot me. Um, I, I used to gripe that all of a sudden, out of the blue, Suddenly, Spock has a half brother that we never heard about. Yeah, but something occurred to me not too long ago because people were whining about, oh, Spock has this adopted sister that we've never heard about, and I would just like to remind anyone who's making that argument that um, if you remember back to Journey to Babel, 
when we first met Sarek and Amanda. And they came aboard the ship, and Captain Kirk, who is Mr. Spock's best friend in the whole freaking universe, didn't know they were his parents. Yeah. Spock doesn't talk about his family. So it is not in any way unbelievable that there could be half-brothers, half-sisters, adopted brothers, adopted sisters, cousins, aunts, uncles, all you know, anybody that Spock knows from Vulcan because when's the last time you heard him say anything other than when he was racked with Ponfar? <laughs> <about Yeah. laughs> I want that on a t-shirt, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, okay, so we're, let's talk about some of the uh, some of the things that we do know about the show. So they, they've cast, we've already said, Sonequa Martin-Green to play the lead role. Uh, she was a series regular on The Walking Dead, and AMC wouldn't release her until the end of her contract, which was at uh, this past April. And her character Sasha had a brilliant death. She went out like a boss, <laughs> and like uh, a boss. yeah, <laughs> and uh, it caused. Uh, but that caused CBS to have to push it back again because they wanted her, and they had to. But they had to wait, so they they pushed it back a little bit. We also know that the first season will be 15 episodes, and it'll be one story that spans the entire first season. Uh, it won't be an anthology, and uh, we we know that the USS Discovery is named after, of course, the space shuttle Discovery, but also Discovery One from 2001: A Space Odyssey, and uh, it's it's set be, uh, between the events of Star Trek Enterprise and TOS, which are Enterprise and TOS are roughly 150 years apart, something like that. But it's uh, it's much closer to the TOS timeline because because they want to use some of those iconic uh, ship and uniform designs. Uh, what do you guys think about? So do you remember in the first Abrams movie, which roughly you can say that, of course, that movie takes place in an alternate timeline, but it starts in the prime timeline. And uh, Scotty makes a comment that uh, he got punished because something happened to Admiral Archer's dog or something like that. So you think yeah, that it was like a it's like a transporter accident or something. Yeah. So yeah. you think Archer could still be alive <laughs> in this timeline? I mean of course uh, to, he totally could. To Paul yeah, to Paul could. could because she's she's Vulcan. So to Paul definitely could. Yeah. 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 So that would be interesting to see if they would bring back some of those Enterprise characters uh being, you know, a hundred hundred plus years uh, later, let me read. I got a press release here that came from uh, Polygon.com about the show, and uh, there's just it's a couple of paragraphs. Let me read this. Star Trek Discovery will follow the adventures of the crew of the USS Discovery set 10 years before the events of Star Trek, the original series. It will heavily involve the Klingon Empire as the leader called Takuvma, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he seeks to unite the fractious Klingon houses by provoking a war with the United Federation of Planets. Unlike most Star Trek series uh, before it, Discovery eschews the episodic format to tell a single story. The relationships between characters get richer and deeper. There are surprises, there are turns, there are secret agendas and reveals. And that is quoted from Jason Isaacs, who uh, plays uh, Captain Captain something. <laughs> Lorca. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so so the uh, the first season's arc is going to revolve around an event in Star Trek history that's been talked about but never explored. And, of course, it's it's the uh, 
the birth of the Federation Klingon Cold War. Are you sure it's a Cold War? Well, that's that. That's, I think it gets. Yeah, that's, it was a shooting war. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it start. I think when it starts, it's a Cold War, and uh, and it kind of gets provoked because the, the the Klingons that are in this that's that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. One of the things that people are hating is the way the, that the Klingons look in the trailer, but the Klingons, especially the main ones that are part of the story, are not Klingons that we've seen a lot. These are Klingons that are almost like um, they've been gone for a long time. They're on a 200-year-old ship that's been out, and they they live the old lifestyle. You know, they're they're kind of like Quakers. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, that's the thing is the reason these Klingons look the way they do is a major plot point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and think so, so. Everyone that's pissing and moaning about what the Klingons look like. First of all, the Klingons have changed with every incarnation of Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, uh, and even in within incarnations of Star Trek, look at Worf from season one, and then compare his his makeup <laughs> and stuff to season seven. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, the ridges change. Nine, yeah. Oh, or yeah, or into Deep Space Nine. Um, as long as the story makes sense, I really don't care what the Klingons look like. Uh, it was fun in <clears throat> more uh, trials and tribulations. When the when they went back in time to the trouble with tribbles and and Worf had to did the yeah. one of the greatest cop out lines in history of we do not talk about it, um, because then we saw we saw in Enterprise that when they finally did decide to address it it was weak as hell. Yeah, they give us an ex- <laughs> they give us an explanation that we didn't really need. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you know I as long as there is just something and and we already know it's going to be more than just a little something. But you know the the fact that this is, you know, a two hundred year old sleeper ship or something. Fine. I you know something else. Is, and I've I've mentioned this on on at least the Starbase and maybe even on the movie news show. Um, something that's always bugged me about the Klingons is that they're the Klingon Empire, and yet we only ever see one species. Right. Yeah. And right. we only ever see one planet. Now, if they're an empire, there should be hundreds. Of planets under the under the Klingon rule, so why wouldn't there be more than one species of Klingon? Yeah, and even on one planet, I mean, you know, you can grab thirty different humans and they look different. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like to to me, the 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 way that I mean, the two big complaints that I've heard um, are, yeah, the Klingons don't look right and. Um, how could how could he have this sister that nobody knows about? Just like just uh, settle down. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it comes down to this: either you trust that the people making this Star Trek recognize that Star Trek is a big deal, and they're going to you know put some effort into like they wouldn't. You don't get up to the highest diving board if you don't know what you're doing. You know if if you're you don't swing for the fences. Unless you think the, I'm messing up, I don't do sports anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't slam dunk unless you can do a touchdown. Yeah, <laughs> but not like seriously. Like e- either you trust that these writers recognize that they're going to have to make this make sense, um, or you don't. So I mean, I I at least give them. It'd be different if you know if, if it wasn't. 
if it wasn't Star Trek and if it wasn't Star Trek people behind it. If it was, you know, just, you know, I don't know, if like the Papa John's mogul decided to buy Star Trek and make a make a movie and he didn't really care, he just knew that that, you know, Star Trek was popular, then yeah, then I might be a little bit worried. Yeah. But I mean you you'd have I mean you don't have to, but to me it makes sense to just give the benefit of the doubt to okay, they understand and again, like you said, it's the first Star Trek series in, you know, over a decade. It's it's the no pun intended, it's the flagship of their CBS All Access. Mm-hmm. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna screw around with it. So if they're telling you that there are these huge changes, that there's these huge shocking things, if Klingons look this way and, you know, Spock's father raised a daughter that nobody ever knew about, um you can at least give the benefit of the doubt that they thought that they recognize <laughs> that it's a big deal and that they thought about how they're going to explain those things. Yeah. Well, okay. Two things. First of all, okay. What you said about uh, Spock's father raising a child that nobody knew about what actually happens. Well, um, actually, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what happens is that uh, Michael Burnham's parents were, ambassadors to Vulcan and they were on Vulcan when the Klingons attacked and they got killed. So she was raised by Sarek and Amanda. So I mean, she's actually raised in the same house that Spock was raising. Of course he was already grown and gone by that point, I'm sure. Um, and then if I could, yeah. if I could just, uh, uh, make a little bit of a theory about the, about the Klingons. So we have that really weak, explanation as to why they didn't have ridges on their foreheads in the original series and listeners if you don't remember in enterprise they explained that they contracted some kind of a virus that uh caused changes to their evolution so this ship full of klingons were not there they never got this virus they were gone so they have 200 years more of evolution than what the Klingons that we know have. So these are what Klingons probably would have looked like if that had never happened. Is, is this your theory? Or this, this is this is my theory. This is my theory, but okay. it, but it makes sense, right? Right. <laughs> this is what they'd have looked like if Roddenberry had a budget. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, you see what the Klingons look like in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, um, and yeah, that was set in a in an alternate timeline, but that alternate timeline wouldn't change their evolution. Yeah. And that did bother me. I, I, it, it, but I'll tell you into darkness had so many problems that the <laughs> fact that the Klingons look different yeah. was not worth even mentioning, <laughs> but yeah, there was no, there was no valid reason other than, you know, we we've got to... different designers doing it yeah, for why right. the Klingons would look so different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, in, in, I, I try to pretend into darkness didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a, just a, a few minutes and talk about some of the hatred that this show is getting. So, uh, and surprisingly, yeah, surprisingly, a lot of it is coming from Star Trek fans. A lot of the issues that people have with it is the fact that uh, the main thing is that in the United States, the show is behind a paywall. So, of course, we're going to have to talk about that, and uh, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, but. Uh, like I said, I'm on a couple of Star Trek Facebook groups. One of them is Star Trek Universe, and um, that I went on there this morning and I posted the question: What is it about this show that you guys don't like? Because I'm seeing a lot of hatred for this show, and it hasn't even come on yet. 
So I just I would just like to know so I can put some bullet points on the podcast that I'm doing tonight, uh, and we by, can by and we way, talk about Sean, those things. Go ahead. Before you go on, I just want to uh, congratulate you and and applaud you. You have a far stronger stomach than I do. <laughs> uh, one of the first things I did when I got online back in 1998 uh, was go into a Star Trek chat room. Yeah. And I left in about 10 minutes because I just couldn't take <laughs> the bullshit anymore. So my hat's off to you for, for taking one for the team. So. Well, yeah. And the, over the last year, and I've gotten into a couple of, I, I try to stay respectful. I'm not, I'm not going to go in there and blast people and cuss them out and all that kind of stuff. You know, you've got your opinions. I've got my opinions, whatever. But so uh, one person that responded to me, his name is Steve Emerzian. Steve, if I'm pronouncing your wrong your name wrong, I apologize. But uh, so one of the things that he doesn't like is that it does not adhere to canon. I'm not reading his. Oh, I'm not reading his uh, his response verbatim because it was very long. I'm just put, taking some bullet points out of it. But so he says that if you're going to set a show ten years before Kirk, then it should be a nice homage to the original. You don't have to go back to cheap turtlenecks and handmade props. But make the uniforms look ninety percent like the originals while giving them a more contemporary look. And we already talked about this some. You know, we're mm-hmm. uh, it's it's going to. We think it's going to blend more towards that aesthetic uh, as the show progresses. Now, if you if you look at uh, two thousand nine Star Trek, um, that first scene at the Kelvin, you know, that was basically the Prime Universe. You know, that was. Uh, I mean it. Yeah, it had just it basically had just, it was. Yeah, it had just kind of shifted over because that's when Nero came through and all that kind of stuff. But uh, their uniforms were different than TOS, and it was only set. That was about twenty five years before TOS. You know, so their uniforms were kind of a kind of in between Enterprise and uh, and, and TOS. So, and uh, if you go back and look at them, they kind of look similar to what we're seeing on on Discovery. So yeah, well, the, uh, the the jumpsuit kind of kind of look, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, to me like the whole the uniforms look different. That is a non-issue. Yeah, because all it takes is, you know, for you know the person in charge of the base to get a letter saying we're using these uniforms now. Yep, and then you change your uniform. Like that's like that's it. We've got new uniforms now, so that can literally happen. You know, over the course <laughs> of like a month. So, you know, if you're 10 years ahead and your uniforms don't match that, yeah, that's fine. That yeah, makes my, sense. My, my answer to anyone bitching about the uniforms is just, just do a quick Google search of just U.S. Army uniforms. Right, yeah. And exactly. see how many changes have happened since the Army was incepted, okay, let, let's say 200 years ago, not even 200 years ago. Uh, you know, it's like you said, you get some admiral in charge who's like, my my brother-in-law has this design for a uniform that I think would be awesome, and we're going to implement it through the entire fleet. And it's there for five years. We saw three of them, and then it's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um. The, the the next one that he brings up, he does kind of have a point, but but I it's not. It, for me, it's not a major issue. I guess for some fans, it might be, but uh, he says that the. Uh, there's no reason for the for the crew to be wearing the Delta Shield with an Arrowhead logo, because only, only the Enterprise crew wore that in TOS. All the other ships had their own, and then by the time TNG came along, it had been adopted as the Starfleet symbol for the entire fleet. I had been saying that. 
I, I was I was one of the people going, why are they all wearing the Delta? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it turns out that uh, there is a memo. Uh, I'm reading. Uh, uh, well, I've read I've read a couple of books about the the, the making of Star Trek. Well, I've read a lot of them, but over the last two <laughs> years, I've read a couple um, that go into some of the more minutia. And and there is a memo from Bob Justman. And Gene, mem- memos from Bob Justman and Gene Roddenberry, and also um, um, Matt Jeffries, uh, uh, and they're talking about how putting those different insignia on for um, uh, Omega Glory, yeah, and uh, oh, was it? Um, I think in the Tholian Web. Uh, I just I can't remember if we actually saw it on those uniforms or not. Anyway, it was a mistake. It was never intended to happen. Uh, it was one of those things where uh, Bob Justman had meant to send the memo to Bill Tice to have them in, in the costume department to do it, and somebody else had an idea that each ship would have its own insignia, but it was never approved from up above, and by the time it was done, the, the episode was shot, and they didn't have time to go back and redo it. So huh. that was actually... Everybody wearing a Delta was intended from the get-go. Oh, okay. And the, what we saw on screen was a mistake. So, all right, if you say that canon is what we saw on screen, then okay, yes. Them all wearing Deltas doesn't make sense. However, if you know the history of it, that was actually a goof that's being rectified in this. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing that you, one thing that you have to realize with any TV series that's been around for 50-plus years there's going to be some retconning that's going to come along. It happens. Yeah. You know, and usually usually they correct things with with uh, they use time travel to try, to try and uh, <laughs> to try and, uh, and and justify the the retcon without ma- making it just slap you across the face. But I think that's a little bit of what we're getting here because I I don't remember anybody wearing the Delta shield on Enterprise, do you? No, they didn't have any insignia on yeah, Enterprise. Yeah. They they wore patches like Apollo uh astronauts do. yeah so this is a little bit of uh, a little bit of retcon and they're 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 probably hoping that nobody's gonna notice <laughs> but yeah, uh, good but, luck with that but obviously you know star trek fans uh uh zone in on continuity a lot so um so yeah we did notice but like i said it's really a non-issue for me but i can see where some fans that that tend to get hung up on stuff like that might uh might raise a little bit of a stink over that but um well and and let me clarify something the fact that i noticed it was not in any way like oh well this show is gonna suck because they're wearing delta shields i was just like <laughs> they, they really they really shouldn't have those yeah but, oh well <laughs> and then i turn and then it turns out i was wrong anyway yeah. so I'll well, try you to find you that. You wrong. You just didn't have all the information. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'll try to find that memo because it's it's online. Uh, I'll, okay. I'll try to track it down, and uh, and I don't know where we would post it. <laughs> right, we've got we got we've got a Facebook page. We can post it on the Facebook. Oh, we that's do. A, okay. That's an interesting question. So, I mean, not to get off on a tangent, but like philosophically, once it's filmed and once that film is released to the public, does that make it canon, even yes. if it was a mistake? Yes. I would say Technically so. Technically speaking, yes. Because it's what's on the screen. But like I said, they can go back, they can retcon things. You know, TV series and movies do that all the time. They're going to make a new Halloween movie that's going to that's gonna totally uh, ignore the fact that Halloween H2O the, and, and all that why, happened. So. Okay, if, if all it takes to erase canon is 
releasing another film that says it wasn't that way. Yeah. Then <laughs> how is what does canon even mean? Like why it doesn't like, and that's yeah. Then why is everybody getting such a You know what? John Champion and I had, well, I he, he talked. Today, I listened. Actually. I listened to that uh, today. That was great. Great. Interview. John Champion brought up. So, uh, I, I interviewed John Champion and, and Ken Ray from the Mission Log podcast uh, and just put it out uh, on the Simply Syndicate on the uh, Starbase feed. Um, and John was talking about how, you know, especially because they're what they are doing with their show is analyzing every episode, uh, not not reviewing it so much as just looking for the morals, meanings, and messages and, and talking about how each show was made. Yeah. And when you're that deep into the mechanics of how a TV show is made, excuse me, and you see how many people are involved in all the different writers and all the different producers and and all of the you know, my, my favorite thing that, that John said was, you know, when you're when you're watching a show, how long does it take the turbo lift to get from point A to point B? <laughs> And the and the answer always is however long it takes to get the dialogue you need yeah, done exactly <laughs> you know? right. So canon is fine. There are you know canon, you know every show has a bible that explains what you know what the boundaries are for the most part. But canon is and, and continuity are are almost a byproduct. They're almost when it does work, it's great. But to expect it is kind right. of unreasonable. Right. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get slapped across the face with things. You don't want a character suddenly being able to do something that they couldn't do before. You know, I don't want Deanna sure. Troy to all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she can shoot lasers out of her eyes, and we <laughs> and we've never seen that before. Like, what? She can. That do would that? have been cool, <laughs> yeah. actually. You know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, you remember? You remember? I have that power. I can shoot lasers out of my eyes. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know, all Betazoids can do that. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you know uh, that? <laughs> yeah. But uh, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about the the the, the big deal that. That everybody is uh, complaining about, and the fact that's the fact that in the United States we have to pay extra to watch the show, and in other con- other countries, uh, if you have Netflix, you'll get it automatically. And we've talked about that a few times on Cosmic Potato, folks. If you don't know, we're on another show called Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast that John and I host together, and Rick is on uh, very often. And uh, we've talked about this uh, a couple of times. The the thing with this subscription service is that. It's in the infancy of a system that's probably going to eventually become the norm for this kind of inter- entertainment. I mean, we've watched TV over the air and uh, cable and satellite for years, but now that there's so many other ways to see things, you know, some people watch stuff on TV, some people watch it on their phone or on a tablet or something like that, that I think that eventually everything's going to be streaming. So, uh, but we're in the infancy of that. So we're at a point where every network is wanting to have their own streaming service and they're going to put this out here and they're going to charge you six or seven dollars a month to watch this uh, to watch this programming. I don't think it's always going to be like that, but it's obviously it's got to start from somewhere. And the thing is, it's it's seven dollars a month if you want to watch it with commercials. If you want to watch it without commercials, it's ten dollars a month. And six dollars is is like lunch one day you know yeah. <laughs> or or a cup of coffee a, a, a few times a month or something like that you know so um the thing about netflix the thing the reason that netflix is carrying it in other countries is because netflix 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 paid for it you know they they put out hey who wants to carry this show in other countries because cbs all access is not in other countries yet it's still it's still a relatively young service 
So Netflix is like, we'll carry it and we will pay you this amount of money. Well, that amount of money is enough to pay for the entire Star Trek show, you know. So anything that they make beyond that is all profit, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I when I first heard that they were going to be doing this, I was not in the least bit surprised. Yeah. Um, ever since the earliest shows of Starbase 66, we've been talking about how this is kind of what we've been wanting forever. Yeah. You know, how many times have you looked at your cable subscript ta- cable TV subscription and went, "Wow, there's 300 channels. I watch those four. Um, yeah. yeah, I wish I could pay for those al- four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've always wanted a la carte television, and now we're getting it, and people are bitching. Yeah, um, <laughs> because they know, want because they want to pay the same they want to pay that same bill or they want to pay a, a cheaper bill and just go in and say, "Hey, just give me these channels." They don't. Yeah. They don't want to go to the to the different websites and subscribe to all this stuff. Well, it's 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 because you know people don't mind something if they never had it, but people have always had CBS for free. Yeah, so it, it, it feels like something that they used to get for free they now have to pay for. It. That that's why it hurts. That's why they're that's why they're complaining. Well, if it was just, if it was just some new streaming service, like hey, we're starting a channel, you know, Bobo plug. <laughs> You know, Bobo I'd Blood, subscribe to Bobo Blood. Yeah, <laughs> was, I mean that's that's what Hulu is. Hulu's like, hey, we're going to show you a bunch of shows. You should subscribe to us, and then everybody did because it was a new thing. But and yes. then you still got commercials, which pisses me off to no end. But yeah, I'm like, that's why I pay for Prime. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah, and the the analogy that I've used several times talking about this show is that. Um, Okay, I'm a Star Trek fan. I've been a Star Trek fan since I was probably about 10 years old. I love Star Trek, and I have paid for VHS tapes. I have paid <laughs> for DVDs. I've paid for novels. I went movie tickets. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I went to see Star Trek Beyond. Was it last? It was last summer, right? I went to see yeah. Star Trek Beyond, and I, I took my wife. I took both my kids. And I think I think my son's girlfriend went with us, and and um. I bought That's a chunk of change. Yeah, I bought I bought <laughs> tickets to the movie. They were 3D tickets. They were on the I, they were on the wow. IMAX. They were on the IMAX screen. Was it somebody's birthday? Uh, it was probably my birthday. <laughs> dad's dad's see dad you're doing, you're doing birthdays wrong. You're yeah, dad, pay for that. dad's get the get the honor of spending their own money on their birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so so, uh, so it was it was 3D. It was IMAX. And then we go inside and we buy popcorn and we buy uh, drinks and uh, probably a box of candy or something like that. So by the time we sat in the theater seats, we had probably spent about $70, maybe more. I don't know. I was going to say, did they have loan arrangers in yeah. the lobby there? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, A payment plan. <laughs> and it was just, you know, and but it was a Star Trek movie and I was going to get to see a new, basically a new episode of Star Trek and... I was willing to shell out all this money and paying $6 a month for the next three or four months. So I can see 15 episodes is not that big a deal to me. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing. If this was like, you know, if like showtime or star or stars or something where they were, where they were charging 16, 17, 18 bucks a month or whatever, then I could see all of the complaining, but we're talking seven bucks. Skip Starbucks once and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and um, and they give you the first week for free. So yeah. if you wanted to, you could wait until the entire first season is already out 
and then you could just get your free week, watch the show. If you like it, the next season you'll know, hey, I'm going to subscribe. I'm going to subscribe, and yeah. I'm going to watch it as it comes out. Or whatever. If yeah, I mean, now they it, they are they are trying to kind of buffer against that sort of thing by releasing them once a week, once and there's going to be that mid-season hiat- uh, hiatus. Yeah, which that kind of cheeses me off. And but that's something all TV shows are doing now. Well, I hate it with a with flames. Yeah, <laughs> but it's a, it's a part of life now, so I'm not going to complain. Yeah, anymore. and one of the thing uh, one of the reasons that they do that is that the the last episode of the first part comes out on November the fifth. So they're trying to keep from having new episodes come out over the holidays because they're that that's when uh, uh, a lot of people aren't watching as much. You know, there's there's a lot going on, a lot of traveling going on, a lot of parties and stuff like that. So you know, put it on pause, come back in January, watch the rest of the season. So yeah, I'm okay with that. You know, and we're gonna do the same thing for this uh, podcast. We're gonna we're gonna take a break. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was it was funny when they announced. When they first announced that there was going to be a Star Trek show back in whatever, uh, my initial thought was, yeah, we've heard this before. Uh, because we had. You know, it seemed like every other year there was like, so-and-so is pitching another idea to CBS or Paramount. And it just never went anywhere. And then when there was like, oh, this is really happening. And then they said, but it's going to be CBS All Access, six ninety nine a month. I was like, all right. So that night at dinner, I said, hey, honey. Is a new Star Trek show going to be be coming out? Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, it's 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 going to cost six ninety nine a month. And she goes, "Oh, that's too bad." <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and I said, "You know, I don't make many unilateral decisions in this house. But <laughs> uh, I'm paying. I'm paying to watch Star Trek." <laughs> um. Okay. So James James McNulty was another one that commented, and he says. <laughs> He said nobody trusts CBS to do Trek correctly anymore. <laughs> and he bases that off of Star Trek Into Darkness. So I have a, I have a rebuttal for that as well. <laughs> um, Star Trek Into Darkness was not made by CBS. Star Trek Into Darkness yeah. was made by Paramount. So the thing that a lot of fans don't understand is that CBS runs Trek on TV. Paramount runs Trek on the movies. And that's the reason why J.J. Abrams pulled out of Star Trek after uh, after the first movie. Because uh, when he signed on, what he was planning to do was create this universe where he could have movies come out, he could have a TV show, he could have uh, animated series and comics and novels, and they'd all take place in his universe that he's creating. But then once he got in and started making the movie... I think the other shoe was dropped. Well, uh, yeah, you can't you can't put anything on TV unless CBS signs off on it. And CBS was like, no, because we're planning we're going to do our own thing sometime in the future. So so he left Star Trek and went to go went to Star Wars, which they're kind of starting to let him do a little bit of what he was uh, what he was wanting to do over there. So you have to understand. CBS didn't ha- didn't really have anything to do with uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. So if you don't like that movie, don't blame CBS. <laughs> that was all Paramount <laughs> and Abrams. <laughs> yeah, a lot. There was a there was a, a lot of what I've seen over the last year. People, they're just you know they're just upset. So you know. And but there's nothing to be upset about. You. I know. It's it's a TV but show. They're just scared. <laughs> they're just scared. It's okay. Before- it's, guys, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Just, just take a. It's gonna be all right. It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine, guys. It's gonna be all right. Come on, James. You and me. Lurpas <laughs> at noon. Let's do it. 
That is the complete opposite message. Set, that I'm trying to set your right phasers right? to start. You're, you're, John, John's the good cop. I'm the bad, bad cop. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Come hey. on, Patak. Let's go. Anyway. Wow. Hey. <laughs> hey, guy. Hey, <laughs> Come on, champ. Let's not. Uh... Dun, 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 there you go. Yeah. Happy place. Go to the happy place. <laughs> Before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about some of the characters and the actors that are going to be on the show and uh, see if we uh, know them from other places. A lot of them I've never heard of before, but, uh, but we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, of course, Sonequa Martin green is playing Michael Burnham. She's a human. She's the uh, Lieutenant command. She's a Lieutenant commander and she's the first officer of the USS Shinzu NCC 1227. And uh, she's the first human to attend the Vulcan Learning Center as a child and the Vulcan Science Academy as a young woman. Uh, she's worked under Cap- Captain Philippa. Is it Georgiou? Is that how you pronounce her name? Georgiou. Georgiou. Okay. Think, yeah, or something like that. She's yeah. uh, been under her for the last seven I years. I watched a lot of YouTube last night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I said before, her, par- her parents were killed during a Klingon attack while she was uh, at the Vulcan Academy. And uh, her adoptive parents are Sarek and Amanda Grace. She's a the adoptive sister Grace. to Spock. Okay, I'm sorry. And she's a xenoanthropologist. Talk with my cannon, pal. <laughs> she, she's a xenoanthropologist and inherently a first contact specialist. So, uh, oh, so wow. That That's she the whole Klingon war thing is not going to look good on her resume. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is the main character of the series, and this is the first series where the main character was not the captain of the ship or the commander of the space station or what have you. So uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they... And like I said, this is not the first show uh, in modern times that does that kind of thing. Because if you look at TV shows like, uh, like Grey's Anatomy and some of the cop shows and stuff like that, the main character is not the head of the hospital. You know, the main character is one of the surgeons. You know, so... so they're kind of doing what other shows are, are what we're used to seeing on other shows. Uh, then you've got Michelle Yeoh as uh, Captain Giorgio. Uh, she's a human, and she's the commanding officer of the Shinzu. She is a war veteran, and we have also seen her in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Tomorrow Never Dies, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I don't know who she played in that, but <laughs> she was one of the. Uh, what are the, the? They're not Reavers. What was the the blue dudes? Peep tribe, whatever the the at at the end of the movie. Well, yeah. oh yeah, at the yeah, end yeah. of the movie when like um, is it John Travolta? No, no. Oh, Sylvester, uh, Sylvester Stallone. Why did <laughs> I get that? <laughs> I don't know what my brain did with that one. Uh, those those people. She was she was one of them. Okay, she was the head of one of the factions at the end there when they did the the funeral for uh, Mary Poppins. She also played the goat in Kung Fu Panda Two. <laughs> okay, which is uh, a lot of people don't realize is better than Star Wars. I know. No, 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 no. no, you said Kung Fu Panda was better than Star Wars. Kung Fu Panda won. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> uh, straight. Doug Jones. Uh, <laughs> Doug Jones plays uh, Saru, who is a Kelpian. Yes. And he is a lieutenant and the science officer of the Shinzu. He is the first Kelpian. In Starfleet, they are a prey species. So they, he comes from a planet where there is a predator that's, that that uh, kills and eats his uh, his people. I guess he has heightened survival instincts. He has hooves for feet, 
and his anatomy in his anatomy he has a a threat ganglia and it goes off i do too <laughs> you know, I, I have a threat ganglia and uh and it goes my, my off threat ganglia shrinks when I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> he has a threat ganglia that goes <laughs> off when uh, when a threat is unseen, and he was all we've seen him in Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy one and two, and Adaptation. Oh. That's right. He's the 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 the, the yeah. dude with the eyes in his hands in yes. Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, he yeah. 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 Uh, wasn't even that show. Um, Falling Skies. He oh, okay, played. okay, yeah. He was, he was... Oh, John, I think your microphone is on the floor. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> did, did ninjas just attack? Yeah. <laughs> Your voice just kept getting further and further away, and you were still talking. Uh, Anthony Rapp. Yeah, my phone just fell. Should I, should I repeat that? No. Okay. <laughs> Anthony Rapp plays uh, Paul uh, Stamets, and he is also a human. He is a lieutenant and a science officer on the Discovery. His character is openly gay. His love interest is Dr. Hugh Colbert, who we'll discuss in just a second. Uh he, we have also seen that actor in A Beautiful Mind, Rent, Dazed and Confused, and Road Trip. So uh, I think he was mainly background characters in most of that. I think this is his first uh, starring role. So One thing that I, that I w- wanted, when I heard that they were going to have an openly gay character on, on uh, Star Trek, you know, no, no big deal. I just, I don't want him to just be there just to be there. You know what I'm saying? I don't want it to mm-hmm. just be a the, the the token gay guy, you know. There's no reason for, I mean, unless he has storylines that are related to his personal life or whatever. It's kind of like in uh, Sulu in Star Trek Beyond, you know. There's no reason for them to 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 harp on it, you know. We just see him kind of put his arms around his husband and walk away, you know. No big deal, you know. I just I just don't want it to 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 be something that it's like a sideshow or something this that you're, they're just doing it just to be doing it you know what i'm saying well i can assure you that every lgbtqa star trek fan feels exactly well maybe not every one of them but most most people in uh uh, in in the lgbtq community feel the same way yeah uh they are very excited that there's going to be an, op- an openly gay character in the show too. uh Two, uh, two, yeah, yeah, um, and waiting to see how it's handled. Yeah, we, we talked about this a lot. Well, we've talked about this subject a lot. We did a show or two about it on the Starbase, where it was like, where you know, we talked about how there needs to be representation, but it needs to be done properly. It needs to be, you know, the characters need to be as real and as human or whatever species right. they are. As every other character, and not just you know, uh, yeah, their, their you know, orientation some... should not be their defining characteristic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They should be a character who happens to be gay, not the gay character. Yeah. Um, so we'll yeah. see how they how they handle. Yeah. That. There's no. I mean, there's no reason for them not to be there. You know, because yeah. you know, the, obviously, with a, a crew of so many people, there's going to be a few you know a few homosexuals on the ship. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it it's the future, and yeah. and it did in fact get better. <laughs> yeah, and and we've also we've also talked about how on on many different shows about how Star Trek has really dropped the ball in this area. Uh, yeah. You know, with the exception of the Outcast on TNG, uh, which was clumsy at best, uh, yeah. they really have not addressed uh, any sort of uh, you know 
alternate alternate sexuality issues in the show. Yeah, they tried and they I, tried to on Deep Space Nine, and uh, and it really got. I don't know. It got a lot of backlash. I, I remember it getting a lot of backlash. I was a teenager at the time, but there was that it, episode but, where uh, Jadzia's former partner came to the station. Yeah, but but even that, while that was that was better. Yeah, it was still. They were two beings who had had a heterosexual relationship yeah. in in a previous incarnation, coming together. Who both, and then they happened to be in in uh, the same gender bodies. It just th- there's always some out. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I could be remembering this wrong. I probably am because I'm not the <laughs> probably shouldn't admit this on this show, but I'm not the Star <laughs> Trek guy of the three of us. Um, but I could have sworn. And, and I want to say it was Deep Space Nine, but there was like some threat to Earth. And the president of Earth, or whatever it was called, the, effectively the president of Earth was not human and was also gay. Because I, 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 could, I could have sworn I remember that. I'll, and I will, I will look it up and I'm sure, you know, everyone online yeah. will correct me. Now, the That's president Star Trek. Yeah, the, I mean, the president of the Federation in Star Trek Six wasn't human, but I don't remember him being gay. I, I, well, like I said, I could be remembering it wrong, or I could be a genius, and I'm the only one. <laughs> but I, I will, I will, I will look it up for uh, uh, for confirmation. But to to the larger point of um, uh, Lieutenant Stamets' character, um, I got, and again, this is over the course of the interviews that I binged last night. Um, he's like. I can't remember the technical name for it, but his his uh, field of study is like uh, fungus and microbes or something. Uh, mycologist. And mycologist. Oh yeah, mycologist with a Y. That makes sense. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> and apparently, the, and apparently, his work is going to have some some major effect on like the goings on of of the course of the storyline. So. Because he's um, a fun guy. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs> Tip your waiters. <laughs> we've also right. we've also got um, Wilson Cruz, who plays uh, Hugh Culber, who is also a human. He's the medical officer on the Discovery. Uh, he's also openly gay, and we've seen him before on My So Called Life. But that was a long time ago when he was <laughs> he was a, a, a teenager. Back, I remember that show. John, did you watch that? Oh yeah, yeah. My so called life with uh, uh, Claire, no, Claire Danes. Not. Claire Danes was the lead character on that show, and he played yeah, yeah he played her gay best friend in that in that show, which was one of the first uh, openly gay characters on television that I that I remember because it was early nineties when that yeah, happened. Yeah, I forgotten. I. I knew that I had seen him somewhere before, and I couldn't remember where until you just said that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Then you got Terry Ser- Serpico as Admiral Anderson, who who is a human, and he's a high-ranking Star- Starfleet uh, official. We've seen him on Army Wives, The Purge, and Michael Clayton. Um, some of these names I can't pronounce. <laughs> Not very well, anyway. <laughs> uh, Malik uh, Pan- Panchali. Uh, he plays uh, a character by the name of Nambu, who is a human. He is a chief. He is the chief medical officer of the Shinzu. We've seen him on Thirty Rock, Weeds, and he did a voice in Phineas and Ferb. Uh, Sam Var- Vartholomeos as Danby Connor, who is also human. 
He's an ensign at Starfleet Academy and a junior officer on the Shinzu. Uh, he plays on the on the TV show Bull right now. Uh, of course, we got Jason Isaacs as uh, Gabriel Lorca, who is captain of the Discovery. He's considered to be a brilliant military tactician, and we've seen him in Harry Potter, The Patriot, and The OA. Uh, Weird not seeing him with long blonde hair. <laughs> yeah, true. true. Uh, Mary Wiseman is Sylvia Tilly. She's a human, and she's a cadet on board the Discovery. She's in her final year of Star at Starfleet Academy. She is Michael Burnham's roommate. She works in engineering. We've seen her on Longmire and Baskets. Uh, sh oh, yeah. Shazad Latif as Ash Tyler, who is a human, and he is a lieutenant and security officer. And he was originally cast to play Cole, who is a Klingon, but he got this part instead. He is a former prisoner of war. He was locked in a prison with Gabriel Lorca and Harry Mudd. So we kind of get an idea of where Harry Mudd is coming from wow. uh, in this in this series. In this series, uh, he was also in the second best exotic Marigold Hotel, and he played on on uh, Penny Dreadful. He played Henry Jekyll on Penny Dreadful. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Rekha Sharman as Landry and it says that she is likely human <laughs> they're not exactly sure uh, she may be the security chief and she was in the core she was in Alien vs. Predator Requiem and she played on Battlestar Galactica but I'm not sure who she played she, she was, was one of the final <laughs> oh sorry we're not spoiling that so oh. <laughs> she was also on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. oh okay okay and she was in uh, Star Trek Continues in. Uh, and I want to say the 100. Like she's 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 yeah, sci-fi certified. She's been yeah, yeah, yeah. Emily and she's and she's so cute. <laughs> oh yeah. Emily Coots as uh, Kayla Detmer, who is also a human. She is a Helms woman. I'm assuming on the Discovery. Uh, James Frain plays Sarek, who is a Vulcan. He is the Vulcan amb ambassador <laughs> to uh, the United Federation of Planets. He is part of the Vulcan High Command, the father of Spock, and the adoptive father of Michael Burnham. What in the world are you doing to your microphone? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he's also been in Tron Legacy, Orphan Black, Gotham, and Agent Carter. So we've, I mean, we've seen him in a lot of stuff. Yeah. He tends to. He usually shows. I, I remember him showing up a lot as the bad guy. So it's uh, interesting that he's not playing the bad guy this time. As far as I know, they're not making Sarek a bad guy. That would be weird. <laughs> but, that would be weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Obi is playing Takuvma, who is a Klingon. He's the leader of the Klingon Empire. He desires to unite the twenty-four great Klingon houses and to ha halt the encroachment of others. Uh, elaborate clothing honors. He has elaborate clothing and he honors ancient Klingon ways and the path of honor set forth by Kalis the Unforgettable. He calls himself the second. Trade man. I once traded one bur What was, was that? that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to step away from my computer. <laughs> <laughs> he, he calls himself the, uh, the second coming of Kalis. So I'm assuming that he thinks that he's like the reincarnation of Kalis or something like that. Uh, Kalis promised he would return. Yeah. Uh, he was in American Gods. He was in Ghost in the Shell and uh, Snow was, White and the Was he in American Gods? I don't know. I, I had looked oh. it up, but I don't have it in front of me now. Which which one? 
Uh, his name is Chris Obi. Oh, I know who he plays. He plays the 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 death guy, the guy that ushers people over to the other side. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He plays um, Osiris. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 So it's that guy, Mr. Ibis. Of course, he won't look like that in this. He'll be. (laughs) He'll look like a Klingon in this. So, uh, Kenneth Mitchell as Cole, who is a a Klingon. He's the commanding Klingon officer. So he's like the the first officer, uh, leader of the Klingon House of Core. He is an alpha amongst Klingon leaders, and we've seen him in Jericho and the Astronauts Wives Club, Astronaut Wives Club, and Switched at Birth. House of Core, the House of Core, K O R. Wow, that'll be interesting. Uh, is that a house that we've heard of before? Oh yes, Core was the very first Klingon we ever saw in TOS. He was oh, okay. played by John Colico. Oh, okay, that didn't stand out. Who then anymore. returned in Deep Space Nine? Ah. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's not playing that character. He's a member of that same house. No. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenneth Mitchell as Call. Uh, he's also a commanding Klingon officer. Uh, wait a minute, no, that's the one I just said. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, Mary uh, Chifo as Laurel, um, Klingon battle deck commander. She belongs to two houses. Her father was from House Takuvma, and her mother was from House Mokai. Um, she was in a movie called Shelby's Vacation, but I've never seen it. Never heard of it. Um, I think she's in a relationship with Cole. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um, Claire McConnell as Danas, who is a Klingon leader, and uh, she's not been in anything that I've heard of. Damon Runyon as a character that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. <laughs> it's not, not the Damon Runyon for those of you who may be literarily inclined. <laughs> no, he, he was the only thing that I've seen that, that I've seen that he was in was uh, cheaper by the dozen too. And he was probably a child when he was in it. So, uh, rain Wilson, uh, is playing Harry Mudd, who is a scoundrel and a con artist. And of course, we've seen Harry Mudd in two episodes of the original series, and I think he was on the animated series as well, right? Yeah. The animated series was kind of a retread of his first one in TOS about yeah. using drugs. I have very mixed feelings about Harry Mudd being in this. Uh, it really reeks of fan service. It better be handled well. This is one of the few things about the show that I'm somewhat reticent well, about. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. Know you what? I'll tell you, they got the right guy to play the part because uh, I think I think Rain Wilson could could very could play Harry Mudd very well. I, I really think he could. So here's something. Just this. <laughs> I am not gonna like speak in favor of like catering necessarily to the audience. If if you're only telling the story that you're telling because you think it's gonna get good ratings as opposed to it being a good story that you want to tell. Um, no, don't do it. But to me, fan service in itself is not inherently bad. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, I mean, that is part of your job. You know, if, if you're, especially if you're coming into a franchise, you know, uh, the, again, a lot of the times people complain about, you know, the new Star Wars or the new Star Trek or whatever is because it didn't touch on these things. It didn't give the fans what they wanted. Like, it's, it's an impossible situation. Yeah, uh, that's so, true. So fan service, as just like, I feel like there's a huge negative connotation to it, and it really shouldn't be. I mean, it, obviously, everything in moderation, but something done just because the fans will like it, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. If it if it's sucks, or if, it's, if it doesn't make sense in the context then yeah, but I mean, 
that's kind of your job is to do stuff that the fans will like and you know and tell a good story while you do it well that that's why i'm 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 withholding judgment until i see how they handle it but this and the announcement that there are going to be tribbles in the show. I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't heard worried. that. Yeah, I haven't heard that. Um, I've, I've seen the tribble. <laughs> I, I, and my only problem with with Harry Mudd being in it is, at the time that the Enterprise encountered Harry Mudd for the first time, he was a second rate con man that no one had heard of. Well, and the. It, uh, and the, and it, he may very well be that same thing at the end of this series, and I'll be like, okay, fine. But if he's a major player in a major turning point of the Federation history, that will be hard to swallow. Right. I don't. I don't think that's the case because you know, according to Sean's research, which I'm inclined to believe, um, he was <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was like held in a cell with these, you know, with one of the major characters on the show. So that's that's his end for the show. And it, you know he's he's a, he's a petty criminal at that point, and that gives him a connection to Discovery, which is really that's all you need. So yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah. There's no yeah, reason I'm, why anybody on the Enterprise would have heard of him. Yeah, and he's not in the entire uh, season. I think he's only in two episodes, from what I've heard. Okay. So and and you know again, I'm not I'm not saying this is in any way a deal breaker for me. It's just one of the very few things I've seen about the show that has me so, slightly concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me. I'm going to throw out a couple of predictions and see if you guys have any predictions before we uh, before we end. I think that uh, Captain Lorca. I don't think he's going to die, but I do think he's going to become. <laughs> I think he's going to become somehow incapacitated or MIA, and it's going to cause uh, Michael to have to uh, take over command. By the way, ha- I, I did. A, I, I tried to do some research. Does anybody has anybody seen any stories that explain why? They named her character Michael because Michael is usually a male name. They just did it. They um, just did it. Just to. Just, they just did it. Yeah, just in, in terms of the context of the show, um, I don't know, but like the writers, I think one of the writers um, just like just anecdotally was at a party or something, and he was introduced to a woman whose name was Michael, and he oh, thought okay. it was cool. Because when the first time I saw it, you know, months and months ago, I, oh, that's a misprint. They meant to write Michelle. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I, as I said, I, I was, I was, I was watching a lot of YouTube, and like some of the early, early predictors just corrected it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, so they're called they're calling her Michelle during their whole thing. It's like, here's what we know. Yeah. Michelle well, Burnham. Yeah. Do like, do uh, do either of you kids remember a show called The Waltons? Yeah. Sure. Okay. The woman who played. Mama Walton. Her name was Michael Leonard. I didn't. Or know learned. That. I didn't realize learned. that. Yeah. Learned. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's there. It is not without precedent. Yeah. I, I mean, I've I've met women named Sean before. So. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> and the other prediction I had is that I think that this season may end with. I mean, of course, the season is going to end with the story arc for that season coming to a close. But I think that. Michael Burnham is going to make some kind of a decision that may put her career at risk. And that may be where the next season picks up. And it may even take place a, a couple of years later. Maybe they'll jump forward in time a couple of years. 
So Rick's laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> laughing just because every single Star Trek character at some point makes a decision that could put their career at risk. Yeah. So this, this isn't a big limb you're going out on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we may see, you know, like the, may, maybe this season will end and then next season will pick up and it's like three years later or something like that. So um, cool. Obviously, um, the show hasn't aired yet. So nothing I say is really a spoiler. Um, but I, I, given the way that some of the actors have talked about what's going to happen, it kind of seems like she's kind of responsible for, for setting off the war. Like, <laughs> yeah, possibly like, like not, she may not become a on, war prisoner, not, not on her own, yeah. obviously, but it's, it's kind of, I, I kind of get the sense that it's a, um, kind of a deep cut, but the Babylon five situation with the where, a, a hasty decision or just kind of in the moment things kind of yeah it, yeah yeah you, you've got you, you know the thing can go one or two ways and you pick the wrong one and things go real bad i, I kind of get the sense that that's how it's going to go down yeah rick do you have a uh, any predictions i have none okay i am i just gotta take I it am, as it comes yeah well <laughs> blissfully he, well here, here's the thing uh, you know, as a as a as a podcaster on this network, uh, and as you know, the host and creator of Starbase sixty six, uh, I have a certain responsibility to know what's going on and to bring that information to the listeners. Uh, and that's something I take very seriously. I I expose myself to far more spoilers along the, uh, because of that than I normally would. Um, however, uh, I've kind of reached my line with that. For this show, because it's Star Trek, and I ha- and you know we haven't had the pleasure of new Star Trek on television for 15 years, uh, and I I don't you know I I don't have anything else to bring to the table right now because I want to I want to be able to enjoy this at least at the beginning you know yeah. once the show's started then I may just dive headfirst into the into all of the stuff. Um, but I want to go into this show as fresh as I can and as, as blank as I can, because uh, you know there was a there was a, a a video that was released earlier this or not earlier this week it's, it was probably two weeks ago now I think about it because I keep forgetting I went a week without power and didn't see anything yeah <laughs> yeah um, where they they released a, a a bit of the the theme music and it showed the 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 composer working on the theme music and then playing the theme music for for Discovery and it's it's amazing. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, it's really, really nice. But it ends with dun, 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 and I got chills. Yeah. I got ch- and I was like, I want to experience this. I want to go into this as as fresh faced as I can at my age for anything, <laughs> uh, and and just experience it as new as possible. Uh, and then you know, once we're a couple episodes in, then yeah, I'll be I'll be tearing into it. But right now, I just. Star Trek is coming back and I I could not be happier about that because you know we've had we've had movies for a while but that's you know one essentially one episode every two or three or five or ten years depending on who's in the director's chair now we're gonna get Star Trek every week for yeah. a year yeah and I just I just want to I just want to enjoy that right now well, the, the one thing that I want to stress to the audience is that if you watch the series on uh, the, the Sunday and you like it, 
go on social media and let people know that it's a good show, <laughs> you know, yeah. so that so that people will watch it, tweet about it, uh, do whatever you can to get positive information out there because there's a lot of negative information out there already. But this is a, a brand new Star Trek series. We haven't had this since 2005. Uh, they're already doing some talks about doing a mini series based on Khan. Uh, if this is successful, we could possibly be looking at CBS creating Trek on, on TV the way Disney is doing for Star Wars and Marvel on the big screen where we've got multiple series and we've got standalone films and, and all and mini series and stuff like that. So that I think that would be fantastic. But in order for that to happen, you have to show them your support. And I just turned this podcast into an NPR telethon. <laughs> so only only you can make a difference. Call now. You'll get a free mug and a tote bag. <laughs> so anyway, I think this That'll is a this is a great spot for us to stop. So remember don't call. I don't have any tote bags. <laughs> <laughs> this was a uh, preview episode and we will be recording another episode on Monday night. Uh, it'll it'll come out probably uh, Tuesday night. Uh, it'll, that'll cover the first two episodes because, uh, just to let listeners know, in case you don't, the first episode of Discovery will air on Sunday, September 24th on CBS on television. Immediately after that show is over, the second episode will be released on uh, CBS All Access. Now, if you're not near a TV when it's on, they'll release both of them at the same time on CBS All Access, so you'll be able to watch them both. So our episode that you'll hear next week, we'll be uh, talking about both of those episodes. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have, a, uh, we have a Facebook page. Just search for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. You should uh, find it, and there will be links to the episode, uh, for, to the podcast episode when, when we post it. And if you don't want to sit down and write us a message, we, we'd love to get uh, messages on Facebook from you. If you don't want to uh, send us a message, you can leave us a voicemail, and I'll play them on the show. Uh, if you want to call and leave us a message, you can call us at area code 205-642-8380. And I'm going to put that on the Facebook page so that you'll know it. I'll repeat it. It's area code 205 205- 642-8380 uh, you can leave us a voicemail I'll play them here your long distance rates may apply um, iTunes is another great place to find the show uh, if you would please leave us a 5 star review so that we can uh, help more people find the show 5 star reviews are the best and I'll tell you what I'm going to do at the end of this season uh, when the when season 1 is over in uh, February, February or March um I'm going to take the name of everybody that leaves us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm going to draw one of those names, and I'm going to give you a prize. And uh, I'm not 100% sure what the prize will be. It'll probably be the uh, the first novel based on Discovery that's coming out. Uh, it comes out next week, and it's written by David Mack. It's called Desperate Hours. If you leave us a, a five-star review, uh, I'll put your name in for that drawing. So the very best place to find us will be over at simplysyndicated.com. And while you're there, check out all the other podcasts available on the network, and you can you can sign up for Simply Everything uh, if you want to hear everything in their back catalog. Uh, they've been around for a long time, so uh, there's a lot to listen to there. And uh, Rick, you have another show or shows here on the network, right? 
Uh, well, I've got the Starbase 66, the international Star Trek and genre fiction podcast that has been revived and will be recording another episode tomorrow night, actually. Uh, I've got the seventh Chevron, which is uh, uh, Rochelle Montanona from the Atomic Trivia War 9000 and I are watching Stargate SG-1 episode by episode and going through it. Uh, and um, the Star Trek movie news, no, not Star the Star Trek, Trek movie news, <laughs> simply syndicated movie news with uh, Richard Smith and Jen Allen and Boz and myself and uh, occasional others. So uh, yeah, I'm 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 on pretty much everything right now. <laughs> and uh, if you want to if you want to uh, find the other show that John and I do together and uh, and Rick is on all the time, uh, it's called Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. Uh, it's over at CosmicPotato.com. I also do the Prime Direction which is a show that I do where I interview Star Trek fans about their fandom. So you can go and check those out. And have I covered everything? <laughs> uh, just, to clarify, so. just to clarify, um, the Cosmic Potato is a show that Sean and I do that Rick is almost always on. This show is a show that Sean and Rick will do that I will almost always be on. So <laughs> yeah. basically, I know it sounds the same. I know it's the same for people. <laughs> but on the other show, I'm more in charge than Rick. <laughs> I am in charge of squat. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to make that. I just want to make that clear. Um, if you if you like me better <laughs> than, uh, than Cosmic Potato, if you like Rick better than uh, Star Trek After Show, the 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 <laughs> just to let people know, this show we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have a guest host on every week after this week. Uh, next week, at least I've got them scheduled to be on. Uh, next week, Scott Madison is going to be on, who you've heard on the the, the movie news show and and uh, several other shows. And uh, and every every week after that, I've got somebody coming on. People that you've that you may have heard on Cosmic Potato before. I've got Christopher DeFilippis and Skipper Martin. They're going to be on, and uh, and so I'm looking forward to to having those and people. Richard Smith at some point. Richard Smith at some point. Hey, we're going to have to record a little earlier if he's going to join us, though, because when we as we record it, when we started, it's like two thirty in the morning for him, so he couldn't make it. Yeah. Which so. for for Rich is not it's not that he's asleep at that point; it's just he has to take uh, Allison to work in an hour, so he wouldn't have time to do the show. Yeah, because Rich 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 is a vampire; he doesn't sleep during the <laughs> at night. Okay, John, thanks for being here. Sure, man. The shuttle bay doors are always open. That's not a good policy. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, Rick, it's always a pleasure talking Trek with you. And and I have a haiku for tonight. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Thank you. It's fun, and I'm looking forward to talking about the show for reals uh, in another week. So, yay. All right, and we're signing off, folks. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes, or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. 
Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. So I, it's official. I have I have now watched the second episode of the Orville, and I'm done with it. Oh, you don't like it? it it's it's not even that I don't like it. Oh yeah, and that's its big sin is I don't give a rat's ass about anyone on that ship. <laughs> I I I like it enough to keep watching. I'll you know I, I I've got a three episode rule. I'll probably give it more than that. Um, because they're trying to do, you know, I'm giving them points for for degree of difficulty. Um, Except that there, it's not. It's a, it it's not an homage. It's a complete freaking ripoff of Star Trek, and it's not in yes. any, in a, it's not in any way funny. Yeah, at least I'm not finding it funny at all. And the bickering is annoying. And this episode was a complete ripoff of a Twilight Zone episode and the freaking cage. Yeah, <laughs> and so. Yeah, the, the the first episode, I thought that the humor was they, that they were just kind of shoehorning the the humor in there, you know, is like let, let's have a scene and let's just bring everything to a halt so we can tell a joke, you know. And the the second episode, I thought that they blended that a little bit better, but it's still, I mean, it's just it's just basically we're we're filling in all the, uh, you know, we're, we're we're checking off all the boxes to make this, you know, the next generation. And uh, the thing, the reason that I liked the second episode better was, yeah, the the whole <laughs> bickering exes thing, um, you know, that's okay, whatever. But the um, the crewman who had to sit on his egg, I think, is, was interesting. That was weird. <laughs> I liked it, yeah. and the and the. Um, the the whatever she is like the ensign who wasn't sure of herself okay yes yeah, a hackneyed plot but it was I like that the quote unquote main story was like you know the tertiary story and yeah that was stuck in the zoo and that was kind of the main plot but the but you know the the show didn't really focus on them that much yeah they made that the B plot was, really yeah yeah it was it was more it was more about the um, the lieutenant or whatever she is. Yeah, and and again, it's not like that was a great story, but I appreciated that they were trying to. Again, when I, when I say they have a higher degree of difficulty, I mean they're trying to um, blend the sci-fi with the dramatic with the comedy, and it's and that is a tough thing to do. Um, and you know, I can name on one hand the shows that did it well. So I'll and and this one's leaning more to the comedy than a lot of those shows did. So. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give a I'm not a huge Seth MacFarlane fan, but um, I'll, I'm, I'm with it for now. I'm with it for now. Well, it's on Fox, so it's it's going to be canceled eventually. So. 